0: Is there really two million dollars worth of treasure buried in the Rockies by an eccentric author? And then I tell you about my own personal experiences with the mysterious creatures known as the Shadow People, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day, too. I'm a little sleepy, but this is our last episode of the week, so that's nice. We have a really good episode today. We have a great episode coming up Monday, and I want to let you guys know now that at the end of next week, I'm going... It's the end of season two, and I'm going to take a week-long vacation like I did at the end of season one. So we're going to do this episode, five more, then I'm going to take a week off. And then we'll come back and start Season 3. Each season is around 50-something episodes. But I didn't want to end the season in the middle of the week next week. So we're going to do about 53 episodes, 52 episodes for Season 2. And then I'm going to take a week off. And then we're going to jump into Season 3. Because I like to kind of break it up like that. And that week kind of helps me recharge a bit. I really enjoy doing the show. I love it a lot, actually. But... I also need to have like a little break where I'm able to just kind of catch up on movies and read. I have three jobs on top of this, so I need a little bit of me time to just kind of veg out. Because I'm kind of just always doing something, especially since this podcast happened. Everything I read, everything I watch is related to the show. So I just need to take a week off uh, in between seasons and then, like, just watch Sweet Life of Zack and Cody for... Actually, Sweet Life on Deck is the superior of the two shows, but you get my drift. Maybe I'll watch some Riverdale, actually. I heard that's good. I don't only watch stuff with a Sprouse in it, but that was just the logic there. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started here. So our first story is going to be... And I do have to forgive me. I think someone might have suggested this on YouTube... But I was, I always try to go back and find, I was like, okay, I started looking into this and I was like, I think someone suggested this. And I looked through my comments and I couldn't find anything. So if I forgot it, I apologize. If no one suggested it, then I'm just going crazy. So the first story we're going to look at is the compelling case of the Forrest Finn treasure. Now Forrest Finn was an art dealer. He's kind of a, an eccentric man around town. And this is in the 2000s. So very, very recently. He got diagnosed with cancer, and he was like, he beat it, and he's in remission, but the doctor said, you know, it can come back. And he's like, well, okay, I'm just not going to wait around to die. What I'm going to do is, if the cancer comes back, I'm going to take all these valuable collectibles. Collectibles is probably not the right word for it, but he was an art dealer, art collector. He said, I'm going to take all these valuable artifacts that I have, put them in a treasure chest, walk off into the wilderness with my life story, and a bottle of pills, and my treasure chest. And when they find my body, they'll find all of this treasure, and my story. So basically, he would just go out there, get to a nice little spot, take all the pills, pass away. Not not the most concise plan, because most likely, he would take a bunch of pills, and then wake up in his own vomit, and be super weak, and be stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And it's really hard to die from an overdose of pills, but he's all groggy, and then a bunch of wolves show up and slowly eat him, Not the best plan, not the best thought out plan, but what happened was the cancer didn't come back. And he kind of, like, as time went on, he goes, you know what? I like the first part of that plan. Take out the suicide part of it. Let's go do a treasure hunt. Let's do a real life treasure hunt. Now, he grew up and he read all the books about, you know, I'm not, I don't know the exact titles, but he read like mystery books and like Hardy Boy stuff, like treasure stuff. So, he decides to, again, load up this chest. Now, he has a bronze chest that he begins filling with riches, basically. it was, Basically, it says here it has emeralds, rubies, diamonds, gold coins that he'd collected at gun shows and auctions, uh, two gold nuggets he got as large as chicken eggs, and an old Navajo bracelet with, and I'm quoting here, 22 prehistoric turquoise disc beads inlaid in silver. He loads up his treasure chest, goes to the Rockies, buries it at a spot that he knows. That's just the first part of it. Now he has to start the treasure hunt. So he writes a book called The Thrill of the Chase, and basically it's his life story. And in the book, it has clues to where the treasure is buried. A part of the big part of the clues is he has a poem in there, which we'll get to in a bit. But he has a poem in there. That he says, if you decipher the clues, it will tell you where the treasure is buried. Now, of course, this story goes viral fairly quickly. Now, originally, you could only buy the book at a bookstore in his town. And it goes for, like, a new... uh, Back then, a copy went for $35. The book is in high demand now. People are trying to scour the book for the clues. The poem itself is online... And it has a lot of clues. People have obsessed over this because what is in this box is valued between $1 to $2 million. And technically, that's $1 to 2000000 million tax-free dollars. Because if you found the treasure, you could just take it home. I'm not, okay, if there's anyone who works for the IRS, I'm not (laughs) saying that that's what I would do. Please don't audit me. But if you found it, you wouldn't really have to claim it. So it would be just $1 to $2 million. Forrest Finn has said that people have come between 500 feet and 200 feet of where he buried that treasure. He also gave a clue, and he said because of his age, he's like in his 70s when he buried it, 70s, 80s, around there. He said that it would be somewhere that a man of my age could get to. So it's not like off of a cliff hang, or it's not like 20 feet underwater, it's a place that he could go. He said that when he buried it, he kind of sat there for a second and thought, did I just do that? And then he kind of laughed and he's like, yeah, I did. And he realized it was the start of this adventure. So he buried it in 2010, 2010. People have been looking for it ever since. No one has ever found it. People are reading his life story, looking for the clues, reading the poem. Now, like anything, of course, people become obsessed with it. There have been four deaths ...that are known to have happened because people were looking for this treasure. People have drowned. People have fallen off of, you know, heights. It's people who aren't equipped to deal with the wilderness, like myself. Like, I've never spent a prolonged amount of time in the wilderness... They, they find this book and they're like scouring maps and they're trading clues. They have whole websites dedicated to kind of like trading clues. Of course, no one wants to give away their best clues because they're the ones who want to find it. But they're doing all this. But then once the rubber meets the road, once they go out to the wilderness and it's getting cold and there's coyotes howling and stuff like that, it's the Rocky Mountains. So it's not like the most hospitable place in America. You go out there and just, you know, civil, your civilized side starts to break down really quickly and You fall and you get injured and stuff like that. So there's been four deaths, people looking for this. And Forrest has said, you know what, I feel bad. Like that wasn't the point that people were going to go out here and die. I was just hoping to give people a good puzzle to solve. He has not revealed the location of the treasure yet. Nobody's found it. He said that as... Gold value goes up if it ever reaches, if the treasure chest ever reaches to 20 million dollars, he'll retrieve it himself. That sounds like a very odd arbitrary number. And that seems I mean, even with gold values going up to go from two million to twenty million, he's around eighty right now. So but whatever. He's like, when it reaches twenty million, I'll go grab it myself. And which which again is a really odd statement to make. Now, what happened recently was just on the 19th of October. So what was that, like last week? That was earlier this... No, that was last week. Okay, so last week, Forrest Finn's house got broken into by a guy looking for his treasure. In his house. Even though he said it was buried in the Rockies. This guy broke into this dude's house. Broke into Forrest Finn's house. Ate a sandwich. Started digging up the backyard a bit. And then found a box, like a treasure chest, and grabbed it and started running out of the house. And Forrest Finn, I believe his daughter, was there as well. They ended up calling the cops. The treasure chest that he took was just full full of towels. And so he was arrested. And now that guy has a GoFundMe for $25,000 to pay for legal fees and to get him back home. See, he was from Pennsylvania. He traveled to Arizona where Forrest Finn lives. Looking for the money, even though it's not supposedly there at all, it's in the Rockies. And now he's asking for $25,000 to pay his legal fees and to be able to go back home. His family, they were saying that he was really desperate because right now his family only has $130 in the bank. And I I sympathize with that. I don't think you probably did your family any favors by traveling pretty much from coast to coast. But uh, desperation, I guess. It seems like it would cost more than $130 to get from Pennsylvania to Arizona. I guess he assumed that he was going to go there and by he would find $2 million. He'd be able to go back easier. I don't know, but that's, that's kind of weird. Anyway, so he's stuck in Arizona right now. Forrest Finn. Buries a treasure. $1 to $2 million. People are obsessed with it. They've been obsessed with it for the past, what is it now, Eight years. A couple people have died. One guy broke into his house. He said, and I was looking again on the article, he said the poem, he believed the clues were leading him to this house. So, let's take a look at this poem. So, I'm going to save us some time. I'm not going to read the poem out loud. It's like a 16-line poem. I'm not going to read it out loud, one, because it really lacks context unless you have a map or you know the area, too. It lacks context because the other clues are also in his book, his book biography, his autobiography, the thrill of the chase. Three, because I believe the whole thing is a hoax. I believe that Forrest Finn made the whole thing up. I think he made it up for multiple I, I the reason why I think he made it up is, and people have pointed this out too, for a man in his 70s to carry to, all of those items in that box. It was a bronze box. The I the box itself with all of the items in it would have weighed about 40 pounds. Now That's not heavy for a lot of people to carry. Short distances. But to hike with that can be troublesome. And when you're in advanced age, to be able to hike with that is troublesome. But let's assume that he's really fit and that's not a problem. He wanted people to hear his life story. That was his initial thing. They'll find the treasure, they'll find my body, and my biography will be there. And they'll read it. Which, in really, what would happen is if you found the corpse and it had a box of treasure, and a bottle of pills next to it, and a book, you'll, you'll, vary, you'll take the treasure, definitely. You may take the book. Depending on who you are, you may take some of the pills. But, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to treasure that book or even read it. And even if one person does read it, and then just throws it away or whatever, it was a bad plan. The idea of hiding a treasure, and writing your life story, and including clues to find the treasure, meaning means people are going to pour over your life story. And he wrote a sequel to it as well. He wrote a sequel to it as well. So, I think he wanted to get a story out he- out there. I think a lot of times when we see people do stuff like this, I think that one of the biggest fears people have is that they are forgotten. Or they leave no lasting impact on the world. Or any impact at all, even. People don't necessarily have to think they're going to leave a lasting impact, but that they have some sort of thumbprint left on the planet. I think that's, I think that's one of people's most unspoken fears. And now this guy has a legacy. Even after he dies, people are going to be talking about this treasure. I don't think it's out there. I don't think it's buried. The wife of one of the men who died searching for it, she said the same thing. She says, it's a hoax. She goes, I totally believe it's a hoax. I totally believe he made it up. And I think him saying stuff like, oh, a group was within 200 feet. A group was within 500 feet. I'm curious to how he knew that. Like, were groups contacting him and saying, you know, I was... So I was the last place I looked was by this bush and he's like, (laughs) like, how does he know they were so close? He doesn't go on all these expeditions with them. I think it's fake. But yeah, I think the whole thing, I don't think he buried it. I think that he is now someone that people all around the world know about. And people all around the world are reading his biography, which he admits is a little embellished, which is fine. I mean, that's a little irritating, but I think that's the least of his transgressions on this. I do not believe the forest fin treasure exists. I could be wrong. Someone could dig it up. He could finally dig it up. But I think he's just going to pass away and people will be digging up the Rocky Mountains for the next hundred years. it will just become a legend, which is what he wanted really in the in the first place. So let's go ahead and move on to our last story. I wanted to go. You know, people have asked me about, you know, like what I personally believe and personal experiences I've had. And I'm pretty open with what I personally believe, but personal experiences I have, I'm a little more hesitant to talk about because obviously, when you talk about stuff like this, people tend to think you're crazy. And and that's fine. But when you record stuff like that, when you record these type of stories, then you're basically immortalizing your craziness. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that my I have a thing, I've never been diagnosed with it, but, so I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but I have this thing called time dysmorphia, and what it is, is that I can't judge time. A day to you may feel like a day and a half to me, an hour to you may seem like two, three hours to me, like, I have a I have a really hard time judging time. And people go, oh, no, it's just because you're not busy or it's you need to read a book or something like that. And I'm like, no, I have to be, I have to have clocks around me. I have to have measurements of time because otherwise I have no idea how much time has passed. So I'm saying that because I don't remember, I, I and I've made this, I've made, I've made this mistake before when talking about stories where I'll say, yeah, I think I was 25 I think this took place in 1998, and I'm wildly off. Wildly off by years. So, I kind of have to place it in the context of other things that were going on. I believe the stories I'm about to tell you happened around 1996. So, really before a, a good chunk of my listenership was even born. But I was out of high school. and I was probably in my second year of college. And... I was living at my grandmother's house. I would sleep in the living room. My great-grandmother was still alive at the time, Grandma McGee. I would sleep in the living room. And the house always just seemed fairly eerie. This is out in Orangevale, California. It's a suburb-slash-rural area on the border of Sacramento. The house was always creepy. I would heard the occasional ghost story that had happened that my grandma... My grandma Miller had seen a ghost of one of her sisters in the house peeking from around the corner. Terrifying. But anyways, I would sleep in the living room on the floor. And I don't know what started it. I don't remember how it started, but... I remember one night I was getting ready to go to sleep. I wasn't asleep yet. And I'm laying down on the floor and i'm facing down the long the long living room it was kind of an interesting design of a house it had a really long living room and i saw in the darkness where there was just enough light coming in from the street light or the porch light outside the kitchen window i saw the silhouette the pitch black silhouette of a boy i'd say was about as tall as maybe like a 8 to 10 year old boy I don't see the, well, this is the weird thing. So the way that the light was coming in was that the room was flooded with darkness, but there was just enough light filling the room to kind of make out some details of just, you know, like the the couch and, you know, the record player and the table and stuff like that. But the boy who stood there was so black His body, his form, was so black, it actually stood out in the darkness. Even though everything below the shoulders was completely covered by shadow, you could see where the fingertips ended, the shoes, the jeans. It was that, it was just void blackness. It was darker than shadow. And the second I realized what I was looking at, it ran towards me. Lightning speed. Before I even knew, before I could comprehend, it was within striking distance of me. Now, like I said, it was a long living room. The living room was probably about 12 to 18 feet, and it was just there on me. And I say striking distance, and that's not a figure of speech, because right when I saw how close it was, I swatted at it out of instinct, like you would swat away a bug. And I made it kind of like this weird, terrified yelp. I didn't yell, I just had this weird noise in my throat. And I'm laying down, and I just kind of swatted at it. And as my hand went through it, it it tore, and little gold filaments kind of came out of the form. So it would be like if you scratched something, and it just kind of shredded. My I didn't feel anything, but I just saw gold filaments, like where it had torn, where it almost like the there was no substance to it, but once I put my hand through it, it basically tore open and the edge of each rip had this little gold filament alongside it. That I, I, I'm, you know, it's. I'm trying to. I hope you get that visual because it was quite terrifying to me. And then it just wasn't there. There's was no puff of smoke. There's no blink. It was simply wasn't there anymore. Now I didn't go back to bed, and the rest of the time that I was staying at my grandma's house, I. <sighs> I didn't like facing that way when I slept but I almost felt like I had to. I never saw that again. But what I started to see were the dogs. I started to see these big black shadow dogs. They looked more like bulls. They had the the shape not with the not necessarily with the horns. They had these it, it, they had, it was one of the, I think dog is the the easiest way to explain it, because the heads seemed like canines, but they had more of the, like, torso of, like, a bull-shaped creature with kind of shorter back legs. The thing with the dogs were, this, they were always flat. It was like watching a two-dimensional image walk by. I didn't see them super often in the beginning, but when I saw them, I would get the sense that they were evil, sinister. I, the boy was the boy, and I got more of the sense that I, I don't know what I, what I really thought of that emotionally, but the dogs terrified me. And again, it was that same thing—that dark beyond dark—and I would see them. Usually, they would walk along the wall because they were flat. So if they—and this wasn't just in my grandma's house—at this point, I was seeing these other places. If the wall had like a little corner, you would watch it, and it would turn that corner like a shadow, just being projected on the wall, and would kind of move around the room. Now, of course, at this point, I think I'm going crazy. At this point, I think I'm actually losing it. Because what rational person would see stuff like that? So, you know, and and let's, in this timeline, in 1997, 1998, I wasn't smoking marijuana, I wasn't doing drugs, I wasn't drinking, but I was seeing these things. And I always were looking for ghosts, I was always investigating and being intrigued by this stuff, but there was no chemical outside to this. But I was thinking, I'm I'm obviously going crazy. I'm seeing things. These things don't actually exist. And then I started seeing what most people know of as the shadow man. But I was seeing a lot of them at once. The shadow man phenomenon is very common. You can find a ton of articles in it. I'll try to find some. Well, I won't try to find some. I'll link some in the show notes below. The shadow man generally come to people when they sleep. There's one of them that is sinister. They tend to wear trench coats, and they have these big top hats, and there's reports of them around the world. Now, the internet wasn't really a thing when this was going on. People had it, but it was like the... You know, the dial-up. You didn't have all these resources. Everything you wanted to learn about ghosts, you had to find in a book, hopefully, then television, and then a friend telling you a spooky story. I had not heard of the Shadow Men that I can recall... Before I started seeing them. What was different about the shadow men though. Is one. I didn't get a sense that they were evil. I got a sense that they were. Almost beyond that. Very advanced. I I got a feeling that they were. Curious. Maybe. But not curious like. They want to communicate with me. Curious the way that. I'm curious when I see a caterpillar walk across the leaf like the 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 evol- the scale of intelligence was so vast between me and whatever this was that I was nothing to it the other weird thing was that they also were darker than dark but when I looked at them I could feel this weird thing where my eyes and my brain wanted to put color in them like i could almost perceive a shifting color within the darkness it's it's really hard to explain because i'd look at it and and my eyes would perceive the blackest of black this dark dark form but my mind could almost see color inside of it and, and, you know, I talk about... I've mentioned stuff about ghosts and aliens where I go, I think it's more likely they come from another dimension. That's what this felt like. It felt like the colors that my mind was trying to perceive is something that's not perceivable in our dimension or with our the limitations of our eyes. So our brain just shuts down and says it's black because it can't perceive the colors that this thing actually is. So at this point, I have two options. I'm going crazy, and I'm seeing this stuff everywhere, or this stuff is real. Now, the way I always dealt with this stuff was I need to have other people witness it with me. And I try to be, and nowadays I'm very good at this. Back then I was kind of okay with it, but I have a rule that I don't tell you what I'm seeing. I let you see it, and me see it, and I ask you what you see. If we see the same thing, it's really there. If I go, oh, my God, look at an old witch is flying across the moon. And then you go, oh, my God, you're right. That doesn't help me at all. If I look up and I'll go, hey, look at that. Someone else looks up and they're like, is that a witch flying across the moon? I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. So I brought a bunch of friends over to my grandma's house because that was a hotbed of activity. Now, like I said, I'd seen the dogs other places and things like that. I would generally see the shadow men in various places, but I I remember telling people that I think my grandma's backyard is haunted because I'm seeing some weird stuff there. At this point, I'd actually had a room built onto my grandma's house because I was staying there for a long time. I love my grandparents. They've all passed away now, but it was a really good time living there. But, so, I brought over a bunch of friends. And I was with my buddy Josh... And my friend Jackie. And a couple other people. And we were all like, oh yeah, we're going to go ghost hunting. But let's start off at Jason's grandma's house. Because that place is totally creepy. And Jackie's 12, by the way. And I would have been, at this point in time, 1997, would have been about 1920. Something around there. Josh was about the same age. So we're just all young kids. And then we got like this little girl hanging out with us. It was Josh's sister. So... We go there and everyone hangs back because it is a creepy. It was a really creepy house. Everyone hangs back but me and Jackie. And I saw one of the shadow people standing in the doorway between the garage and the backyard. And I had a really weird visual that time. It was nighttime, of course. That's when you go ghost hunting with your friends. And the shadow man is standing there at night. And I look at him. And these things are like seven, eight feet tall. And what I perceived, like looking at at him, it seemed like it was daytime on the other side of him. Now, beyond his actual outline of his form, it was nighttime, but I had this weird sensation that it was daytime behind him or through him. There were two other shadow men standing in the back of this, backyard at night and it would have been fall a little cold now i told you my rule about not explaining stuff but I, this was a time i didn't have that rule perfected and me and jackie walk up to the doorway and jackie says something to the effect that this I've, I've really creeped out and i said there's one in front because i told them again i wasn't 100 on my plan but i will get to that in a second I told him, I said, yeah, I think there's these shadow people walking in my backyard. I don't know how to explain them. They're just these big shadows walking around. I tell uh, Jackie, I go, yeah, there's one in front of us right now. Now, her being a 12-year-old girl, not really thinking about anything, she sticks her hand right through the thing's chest now, of course. She doesn't see anything to her. She's just sticking her hand through a doorway into the dark backyard. And what I see is her hand, you know, where his chest should be or his stomach because she's quite short. And she goes, it's warm. My hand's warm here. Now, I didn't tell her, oh, it looks like daytime in him. But she was feeling warmth where her hand was there. Now, I'm not going to let a 12-year-old girl be more brave than I am. So I put my hand into him as well. And it was warm. And I start to kind of... I start to say something to her. And my hand is just kind of... We're both of our hands are just sticking halfway through a doorway. Anyone walking by would just see two people sticking their hands through a doorway into the backyard at night. I say something to her and I look over at her. And then I start to turn my hand because I'm kind of almost feeling the temperature. And now my hand is basically... my my The back of my hand is facing me completely. All five fingers are... I'm looking at all five fingers. But the thing is... My pinky, and what is that? My other index finger, the pinky, the finger next to the pinky, they're gone. They're completely gone. All I see is my thumb, my ring, and my middle finger. And then it's almost like just my hand was, the rest, the other two fingers and that part of my hand were completely gone, enveloped in darkness. They it, it, it didn't exist anymore. wasn't a trick of the light, it was gone. And this is when I used my plan. I'm looking at my hand, and it's flat out. And I go, Jackie, do you see something weird? And she looks over, and she goes, your fingers are missing. We both pull our hands out. We run back to the car. That wasn't the last time I saw the shadow people. It was the last time I interacted with them on that way. I never tried to communicate with them, never tried to do a seance or... Ouija board or anything like that. To me, those things don't seem like they would work. Because these things didn't necessarily seem like ghosts. But I don't know what they were. It's been a long, long time since I've seen a shadow man. Or one of those shadow dogs. Or the boy. But one of the last times I ever saw them. I remember I was driving home late at night just driving through Orangeville it's maybe like 2 in the morning I always stayed up late and they were everywhere I just saw 2 walking down the block here a dog walking across the street flat but moving somehow Sometimes they moved in pairs, sometimes alone. But I saw them everywhere that night. I didn't sleep that night either. True story. Totally true story. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. If I see one of those things tonight, dude... Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys, and we will be back Monday.